What the hell's the name of this thing? It's Wayne's World. The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, ground number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-chew. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another fascinating edition of Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW and Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. He is Barry Horn. And with us on the phone from beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, we're going to talk about Evan Grant's favorite subject, you. But not you, Evan. You Darvish. Whatever, Barry. You Darvish. <laughs> Evan. Barry. Evan. Barry, that joke that joke has a, a statute of limitations. It's now 2016. Evan, your life with in your oh, life in, your life is always a joke. So let's 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 move on. Uh, Kevin, uh, you, you want to start us talking about you, Darvish? Uh, okay, you, Darvish. All right, we said last week that he would be on. I said he would be be under an 80 pitch pitch count. Correct, and that turned out to be just about right. 81 pitches in that game. And the thing that really surprised me in that game, Evan, was that, you know, with the problem with you is the same with Cole Hamels. is the same with a lot of really good pitchers. Uh, you know, if you're going to get to them, you have to get to them in the first inning. And, uh, and that's when they're tinkering, trying to find out what's working, what's not working. And you would do that all the time. And it was remarkable. I believe in the first two innings the other night he threw, what, 22, 23 pitches, something like that? And, you know, in his – I think I, I did the research on this last week before he came back, and the um, the number of pitches he threw in the first inning in, like, his last seven starts or eight starts before the Tommy John surgery, he averaged about 19 pitches in the first inning. Yeah, right. So I, it was a – that was a big difference. And, and, and I think part of it is the Rangers have – have urged him to um, throw the fastball more this year. Uh, he's he's got better command, I think, of the fastball, and has spent a lot. Uh, listen, I think one thing that you said, really going back to the time of the surgery, was that he intended to make the next the, the year of recovery a time for him to get better. And he talked about the mental aspect of baseball, and I, I, I think that's what he's done, is he's studied what he really needs to do to be the most effective and efficient pitcher possible, and that is to command and control the fastball. And he did a great job of that the other night. And not only that, and I, I think we need to get into this, he had the best fastball of his life the other night. Yeah, 98 miles an hour, that was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I didn't even know he was capable of something like that. Well, you know, he hit 98.7, and this was with a ball that he missed that, that he missed with. He hit 98.74 on one pitch and 98.73 on another. Those are the two fastest pitches he's thrown as a big leaguer. He also hit 98.1 um, on another pitch. He's thrown in his big league career, according to the StatCast system, he's thrown four pitches at 98 miles or above. Three of them were in his first start after Tommy John surgery. So I think that tells you um, that he certainly has come back strong. Now, I, it'll be interesting to see if the same level of adrenaline and all of that that goes along with your first start is going to be pumping through his veins when he goes when he goes back out to the mound on, uh, on, on Friday. But he certainly got it in him, and 
his fastball averaged 95.5 miles an hour between the two-seamer and the four-seamer in his first start. This guy has the ability to be an overwhelming fastball power pitcher, and that's that's what he showed that himself to be on, on in his first start. But don't but don't we still have to be cautious? Uh, don't the Rangers still have to be cautious uh, with Bionic U? Well, I think they're going to be cautious in in the pitch counts, and you know that he was on a. Though Kevin decided he was on an 80 pitch count the other night, he actually was on a 90 pitch count. But that, Kevin likes to say that he's right all the time. So who's going to argue? Well, he threw 81 but, pitches. Who, who was closer? But he only threw 81 right. pitches because he wasn't going to go back out for the sixth inning with 81 pitches and potentially put himself in a position where he was above 90. But I do think that they will be judicious in that pitch count for the for the next few starts at the very least. Is, is Look it, at guys like. Look at guys like Jose Fernandez and Brian and Matt Harvey when they both came back from Tommy John, and these are recent ace-type level starters. They averaged about, you know, between 94 and 95 pitches over their first five or six starts in the big leagues after, after the surgery. So I think that's what we can expect to see out of Darvish. And if the Rangers, you know, he'll follow, he'll follow an off day this time when he starts, and so you should have a completely rested bullpen. And so if he, if he, if he only gives the Rangers five, it's not going to be that much of a problem point this time around. But, but you'd really like to see him be able to give you six and eventually seven before the end of this year so that you don't have to wear the bullpen out on nights when he pitches. You know, we had gotten into some, and, and maybe this is just semantics, but when, when Cole Hamels came over and then pitched so well, and then, of course, just just recently had his winning streak snapped uh, uh, that spanned two seasons, uh, that Cole was the ace and, and that you would be the number two. Now you coming back like this, um, and, and I'm wondering, in you's mind, I know he's a very competitive guy, uh, that well, what does he think about that? Does he think he's the number one in this rotation, or does would he be willing to concede to to Hamels in that? Well, I, I hope I hope both those guys think they're the number one, and and I think the Rangers feel like that they're both number ones, and and quite frankly, I think they both feel like they're num- that, that each of them feels the other is a number one quality starter. The the issue though is Cole had more of a track record, and he was healthy. And you just expected that when Darvish came back, he'd be on those limited pitch counts like he is. And there might be some time for him to kind of, you know, find his command again, find things that were working for him, uh, that there would be some degree of a, of, a, uh, 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 of a regrowth kind of period. And one thing that I thought with, with Darvish is just having gotten to know him ever so superficially over the past four years is this is a really serious guy when it comes to his craft this is a guy who was going to follow the rehab and the recovery plan to a T and I think he was going to explore the idea of how can he mentally use that year to get himself better and so I thought that there was the possibility that Darvish could come back sharper initially than a lot of Tommy John um, patients do and Certainly, that's what it looked like we saw on on Friday night, um, on, on Saturday night, and we'll see if we see that again going forward. So, as long as we're talking about pitching, what about uh, Derek Holland's performance on Monday uh, against Cleveland? Were you? Uh... Well, here's the thing: if the Rangers decide that they want to trade Derek Holland at some point in time, I would suggest they call the Indians because he <laughs> is three and zero in this park with a one two two ERA for his career. Um, oh. He pitched really well here last night, uh, got an early lead that always helps a starter, 
and and what he did was he threw he threw strikes and and I think that Derek is is maybe starting to realize that strikes don't mean pitches down the middle and they also don't necessarily mean perfect pitches. Just get them somewhere in towards the edges of the zone. And if you can do that, you can be successful. So can we can the Rangers package Holland and Elvis Andrews who also does pretty well in Cleveland and get, and can can the Rangers get back maybe the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or oh my gosh but the rock and what, what roll. Are, you, are, you, are you trying to go above the ballpark in Arlington in Dallas comment are you trying to top that is that what you're trying to do no but but uh, is it, would there be a market out there for Holland uh, I would think that listen his contract he's got I think three club options after this year that are all fairly club friendly. And if the Rangers decide to move on from him after this year, yeah, I think that there are, there will be a market out there for him. And I think Cleveland would certainly be an attractive spot for him. But the other part of that is that the Indians have a pretty good rotation themselves right now. So not sure if the Indians would need him, and not sure, you know, the, the other part of that is if the Rangers are going to make a deal at some point in time for Derek Holland, um, they're going to look to get something back in return that will that will help them. And I'm not sure this is way too early for me to start looking at rosters and seeing how these teams potentially match up for the future. You know, it is funny how some players seem to play better in certain parks. And it seems to me, you know, Mitch Moreland always hits better in Oakland. And, and, right. and, I, and I, frankly, I didn't even realize that Derek's numbers were so good in Cleveland. He, he referred to it the other, the day, other day like going home, you know. And who knows? Yeah, he did say that. He, he said it's like going home. And, he does feel kind of at home. Yeah, and there's and there's no rhyme or reason for that kind of thing. I think a guy just has something something good happens and he likes it and he just feels good and comfortable. And it does tell you a little bit about mindsets and how those were, translate to the physical aspect of performing your craft. You know, sometimes yeah. these guys need to relax and, and just and just feel it. I'd agree. I mean, you know, maybe maybe a lot of that is he came back here his first time, you know, and he pitched a shutout and it gives him incredible confidence and a great memory every time he comes back here and he goes out there with a great mindset. I'm sure that plays into it. I, I think with ballparks, if you're looking for guys' results in ballparks, I think you look more at hitters than you do necessarily at pitchers. Right. Because the hitters, you know, maybe there's a good background that, that allows them to really pick up the ball well. Right. Or maybe there's there's dimensions that play well to a to a hitter's strengths. But, but with a pitcher, I think it is more of a, hey, did you have success there? Or, or does a park play to a guy's strength. I think this is a fairly, this is a pretty fair and, and neutral ballpark. So I don't think that you could say that this plays one way or another to Derek's strength. I think a lot of it is, is simply mindset. He had success here. Um, he feels at home here. He's got a support cast to some extent when he comes here. You know, I, he does really have a close relationship with his parents and I, I believe his parents and, and his brother are here every time he pitches and, and, and I, I think that probably does something for his state of mind. Since you since you brought up uh, Derek as a possible trade piece, what about uh, Profar? Uh, where does he stand now uh, with the Rangers? Uh, well, you know, he's been up for four games, and uh, as we speak here on, on Tuesday morning, and all he's done in that four games of what was supposed to be a seven-game call-up is, is force the Rangers to at least discuss what his immediate future is. And... You know, I think the Rangers have two ways to go long-term. They can either 
look at the deadline and see if there's a long-term fit for them in the trade market that helps them contend this year, but that they also control long-term and potentially put Profar in a deal there. Or if they don't see that or they don't feel like they need that, um, or there's not a piece that would that would require putting a, a guy of Jurickson's talent in, in, into that trade, they can go to the offseason and then potentially examine the possibility of do they do they try and send Elvis Andrus somewhere just to save a little bit of money and put Jurickson into the shortstop position. So I, I think they've got two ways to look at things long-term, but the short-term question to me is the one that's more intriguing is, is there a way to shoehorn him into this roster to allow him to play, you know, fairly regularly? And by fairly regularly, I'm, I'm suggesting four times in a six-game period or four times in a seven-day period. And, and I'm just not sure that the way the Rangers are set up right now, that that's very feasible. Um, I think that it's easy enough to say, okay, we could get him a start at short, we could get him a start at second, uh, particularly against the left-hander each week. But then you go, okay, what do you do next? Do you want to play him at DH? Well, I think the Rangers are going to be real careful here with the Prince Fielder situation. They they gave Sinchu to through the All-Star break last year to really get things turned around. And I think that if you look at the fabric of this team and the makeup of this team, Prince's presence in the clubhouse and the way he has approached the game since he came back from his injury in terms of being a team player, in terms of, of, of doing what the game asked them to do, I, I think the Rangers respect that, and I think his teammates respect that. And I think if the club were to pull him out of the lineup, you risk you know creating something of an imbalance in the clubhouse. And, and, and right now they're winning while Prince is struggling. They have the ability to kind of they, – they can afford to let him try and work his way through it. And so I think they're going to do that. So that eliminates, you know, a, star, a start for him there. Could you sit Mitch Moreland down occasionally and put Prince at first base and Jerickson at DH? Or put Profar at, at uh, second base, start Odor at DH, and, and play Prince at first base? I suppose you could do that. But again, to me, three times in a six- or seven-day period is not enough for this guy to stay sharp and for him to, A, either max out his talents or max out his value for a potential midseason trade. Would, would the outfield be an option? I don't think so. Um, I, I'm going to actually ask about that today. Uh, we haven't investigated that to this point, but... I don't think that, given his arm situation, I don't think they're going to consider going that route right now. I think they they feel like they put enough on him with um, with playing the two infield positions at this point, and I don't think that they're going to look at him as an outfield an outfield um, solution. But let's go back to 2013, and they did use him in the outfield some then. All right, now I'm going to ask you this question about what the Rangers' intentions were. All right, so we know that you know with Odor out, they had to do something, and but there were there were multiple options for them uh, over this little short uh, time span. You know, Alberto could have played you know second base every day, and that certainly would have been just fine. Uh, and they and they could have brought up somebody else uh, in another another park to move around and, and perhaps even play some first base. Do you think it's possible that they brought up Jerickson Profar to show him a little bit and to show him to everybody say, hey, look, see, this, is, this guy is back, and look how he's playing now? 
I think that's possible, Kevin, but I also think in some regards that's kind of overthinking things a little bit. If you put – listen, if they had had a spot for Procore to play on a regular basis at the start of the year, I think they would have they would have very seriously considered playing him every day. They kept Alberto as the utility man because that's what cancer is. Now, if you keep if you keep Alberto and you don't bring up Profar and you play Alberto at second base, that's all fine. But what if you have an injury in the middle infield? Now all of a sudden you're having to scramble bodies around all over the place, potentially bring Desmond into the infield, play play guys all out of position all over the place. And so I think from their perspective, based on how the roster was set up and based on what they had on the 40-man, this was the simplest way to do things. And I think everything else was just kind of a, um, added value to the whole experiment. But sure, I mean, I, I think that he plays every day in the big league and people who were scouting him get a better feel for how he looks against big league pitching how he how he handles himself against big league pitching, how he handles himself in the atmosphere, and that can't do anything based on the way he's played so far. That can't do anything but uh, but help him. You know, he's he, and and I thought last night on Monday, the thing that was most impressive for me was turned three double plays uh, as the relay guy at second base in the final three innings. It helped keep Cesar Ramos in the game and helped keep them from having to go to other bullpen pieces. And at shortstop earlier in spring training, you know, the throw on on second base relays had been the one thing he had looked a little bit tentative on. I know this is a little bit different angle and everything, but he made three strong throws, three true and accurate throws, and he handled one throw from Beltre that was a little bit below the waist that he had to kind of drop down and make the relay to first base. And uh, it was – it was – it was on target. It was it was true, and as he said to me after the game, he said everything was easy. Evan, uh, before I ask you about Fielder and Moreland, I want to know: Are you having a party in your hotel room? It it does something. No, um, no. I, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of my new alter ego, the barbecue slob, um, but uh, <laughs> not a slab, um, a slob. Could you have been the barbecue am, uh, blob instead? No. Okay. Uh, but I am about to investigate um, Michael Simon's barbecue restaurant here in Cleveland, and uh, it opens at eleven thirty. So I figured I better get here on uh, uh, before eleven thirty uh, Eastern time. So I am standing in front of the restaurant as more and more people gather, and I'm waiting for my assistant barbecue taster Eric Nadell to show up wow, so that, that we can. Uh, that's really we nice. Can, are, are you are you at the front of the line? I'm in the front of the line. Number yeah. one. Ever. That's great. Listen, before he before we leave this profile thing, this is a fascinating subject to me. I, first of all, I, I don't believe he should be left up uh, with the big club and trying to squirrel him into to these little positions here and there. He needs to be playing every day, so he needs to go back down if there's not a spot for him. But uh, but in, I, I, I tend to agree, Kevin. I tend to agree with you just from a practical standpoint. There, I mean, yeah. I, I just don't yeah. think you can. You're having to shoehorn an awful lot of people into an awful lot of places. Yeah, not, to be not able a, to yeah, that. not a and not a good idea. So, but but here's the thing: if let's say they they do trade him at the deadline, and I, I'm not necessarily for that. I, I I'm you know I believe his ceiling is a lot higher than Elvis's ceiling, and I realize there's a lot of difficulties in, in unloading Elvis's contract. But I also recall that perhaps they're going to be getting a new stadium in a few years, and they're going to be making a lot more money. So I don't think they should worry about sure. that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. 
you know, you, you have been a huge proponent of a Sunny Gray trade. To, to, get, to get a Sunny Gray, it's going to take more than Jerks and Profar. Give me a package with Profar in it that you think that, they, that the Rangers could get Sunny Gray for. Oh, um, it's probably Profar and some kind of pitcher and probably a third a third lower-level prospect. Um, you'd look at Profar, and then you'd look at somebody from the pitching. Like Ortiz? Yeah, I think the Rangers, I, I, you know, I think the Rangers will try and protect Ortiz. I, but you would look at the group of Ortiz, Tate, um, I think Brett Martin at, at Class A. Um, and I think that, uh, um, you know, I think the Rangers would try and talk about Chi-Chi right. with the A's, but I'm not so sure the A's would go there. And then for a third prospect, I think you'd probably be talking about a, a younger guy that at this point in time I'm not even sure. I I also wonder by the by July, you know, based on the fact that Sonny's been hurt, that he's been ineffective, I wonder if by the middle of July, and this was a guy that I had thrown out there last year, um, I wonder if Homer Bailey will be back, and I wonder if the Reds will have more interest in Profar, and I wonder if, if that won't be a, a trade that perhaps makes a little bit more sense. Well, it was certainly uh, – because here's the thing, because I think Profar is going to be pretty good. You'd hate to be – Playing a guy in your division every you know every year like that, you, you'd rather trade him to the other league. I, I think sure. for one thing, uh, that that would be certainly preferable. I, I you know I don't have a problem with trading him. The only the only issue I have with that comment is is this, and I, I hate the idea of trades motivated by fear. That well, I'm not going to make this trade because he could come back to haunt me. If you feel like you're getting what you need to win a world championship. I think you can't be motivated by that, but I do think that it does come into play in, sure. in a whole human yeah. nature. Yeah, you don't allow anything to, to dictate a trade. Remind us, how old is Profar? 23. And he's like yesterday. He's yesterday's news. Already. Well, he's coming back. He was well, yesterday's news, I, I but he's coming back. Here, he's here's the other part of Profar that now becomes a little bit of a dicey situation. Um you're only going to be getting three years of control of Jerks and Profar if you trade for him, as opposed to, um, you know, the fact that he's only got less than, he's basically got less than a year's worth of big league playing experience. But because he spent two years on the DL, he's got what amounts to uh, three years of service time almost. And so you're only going to have him for three, maybe four years if you've got the, uh, if he was a Super 2 this year. Is that, is that the <laughs> We were waiting for it. Yeah, that, that's your, that, that's your shortest answer ever. <laughs> we're both stymied. Yeah, right. we are. We are. All right. So, so let's. All right. So let's move on now. I, I love the, the jerks and profile talk, but let's talk about Fielder and Moreland. You, you know, one of the, the stats that you had cited earlier this year about Prince Fielder that the problem, and I and I and I think this was a hundred percent of the problem, was that uh, they were throwing him more breaking pitches, more stuff out of the zone, and he was chasing all of that. It seems like lately he is chasing less. Do the numbers back that up? The only thing to me that is um, is starting to trend upwards for him is I'm seeing the exit velocity pick up a little bit off the bat and I think if you break it down into two week increments from the start of the year he was hitting the ball at like 87 and a half miles an hour 
um, the first two weeks. And this past two weeks, he's been at right at about 91, which is league average. So, um, well, why do, why do we think, think that is? is? Was there a reason for that? I, you know, I think part of that may be timing. I've had some guys say he looks late on a lot of pitches, and because he looks late, you know, he's not making a contact. Um, and so maybe, you know, over the past six weeks, he's been able to to get that a little bit better. Um, I do know that in the past week, he's hit a lot of balls. And, you know, now that we have this tool where we can measure exit velocity, we're putting a lot of emphasis on that. But he says he's hit about six balls in the last seven games over 100 miles an hour, that's well above average. So to me, it suggests that he's still got the ability to turn on pitches, that he's got the ability to hit the ball hard, and maybe he's, it's still a matter of fine-tuning the timing. Yeah, that'd be my guess on that. All right, now, we're, we're talking about, too, about Moreland, and now he had two home runs over the weekend. But to me, that doesn't mean anything. Evan, did you just get in a fight? Uh, we're... We're here. We're, we're okay. Everything's fine. Okay, Everything's, is, is Eric there yet? Eric is here, and Matt Hicks is here, and Dave Raymond is here. It's, wow. It's, it's broadcasting and, and writer's lunch, in which I we intend to do a lot of ripping of the hot air column. Oh no! Yeah, that'd be Evan. great. That'd be great. I th- I, I'm glad. I'm glad you put the word "column" ended that sentence with "column." I thought you were going to say you tend to do a lot of ripping of hot air. Yeah. Wow! Stop it. All right. So back to my point about Mitch Moreland. I don't think it says anything about Mitch though. When he hits home runs, he hits them in bunches. He's he is a quintessential streak hitter. Uh, and and, and so I, I don't know. You know, fielder may be coming around. I'm not making that projection about Moreland. I mean, but Moreland's, Moreland's hit as many balls hard, if not harder, than, than Prince has over the last over the last week. And you know, again last night he hit he hit two balls really hard and had nothing to show for him. So, uh, the, uh, for me, with the Rangers and Moreland and this this whole process, the idea with both these guys, these guys are integral to the success of the team. They were supposed to be guys who were going to hit in the middle of the lineup. Um, and the fact that this team is, is winning and able to continue to give them time to work through it uh, is is the best possible situation. Um, the solution would be for him to start having some results. But I, I do my eyes tell me that Mitch has been hitting the ball pretty hard for the last 10 days, hasn't had a ton of, of success to show for it. So is there anything left to worry about now with the Rangers? The bullpen. No, the bullpen. The bullpen the still an issue, and 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 I mean, look, you know, uh, other guys could go cold, and, and these two guys in the middle of the lineup who aren't producing could, you know, could really drag this team down. But but I will say this: from from my perspective, the fact that this team is thirty and twenty one and has done it without their starting catcher, did it without Darvish, did it without Fielder or Moreland producing, did it without their leadoff hitter at the start of the season. I think it bodes really well, and, and did it by despite changing closers and essentially losing their uh, the guy who was going to be their key setup piece in 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 um, I, I think it bodes really well for where this team is going to be in the second half of the year. Uh, they're in first place right now, and 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 they are they're playing pretty well, and I think they've got a chance to play a whole lot better. When are you expecting Chew back? I think Chu's another, and we didn't even mention Chu, but you know Mazzara has rendered Chu kind of the 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 the, the absence of Chu almost moot. 
Um, but I think she was at least another week to 10 days away. And will we see the Shields back this year? Uh, maybe as a fourth outfielder at some point in time, but I don't see that really in the next month or so. So you're not seeing the same recovery project that uh, Odor was last year? Well, and, and the fact of the matter is they've got a center fielder who is crushing the ball right now, and he's playing really well. And so there's not a need, um, there's not an absence at second base, at, at center field like there was last year when, when they, they sent Odor down. I think that they, um, the, the, the Shields, you know, given the fact that Mazar has played so well in right and that Chu is coming back and that Desmond has played so well in center, you very possibly have what you need from your outfield. And... And so, you know, what you do is you bring field, you bring um, uh, Delino back up. He's a fourth outfielder and a guy who could potentially steal a base for you. Evan, we know that you've got to have some barbecue. We've got other projects we've got to work on here. Yes, we in, have in other podcast guests coming up. We'll keep them a secret. Well, yeah, we're not going to – because we know how much you hate it when we talk about the other We're not going to reveal it, but here's the most important question. Who's picking up the check? Uh, we individually pay for one for ourselves, Barry. Wow! Wow! How come when we go out, you always wait for Kevin or I to pick up the check? My point on that is that um, I think we. I don't. I, I think, I we, think lost we lost Evan. Evan, which was probably an appropriate because he, time. he has no answer for who, no, he why he always not. makes you or I pick up the check. No, that's right. Evan, enjoy yourself. Enjoy the barbecue. And we'll see you next week. You'll be back with us in, in studio next week, correct? We can. Yeah, he'll yeah, be back. He's good. That's good. Uh, you know, Doug, just cut off Evan. I don't want to have to deal with him anymore. That'd be good. Uh, he, but he, there's a lot of good information there. A well, lot, absolutely. And, but yeah. it seems to me that this team is, for all the losses they've had, they seem to, you know, the Desmond... The, uh, the situation a catcher has, hasn't really blown up in their face. It's the most striking thing about this team, uh, to me, is is the depth of it. And that everything they do, you know, when, when they were going to the World Series, and, and you know, in, in 10 and 11, uh, it, when someone went down, they were in real trouble. And, and, they, and they still recovered, uh, but it, it, it seemed less like they had a viable option. You know, in, in, with this team, when they brought in Mazzara, they got better. You know, how is it <laughs> that you that you bring up a guy and you get better than you were before? A guy that they didn't want to bring up. They, they didn't want to bring up, absolutely. So, so and, and then, you know, with, with, with Desmond, when, they, when, when Delano went into a funk, they put Desmond in center and they got better in center field than they were before. So, you know, that, that's the thing. It's not that these guys are just holding their own. These guys are actually improving the performance. I, I think that they feel like Bobby Wilson is a better defensive catcher than Robinson Chirinos is. Not, not a better thrower, necessarily, because Robinson's really a good thrower. But he's better at blocking the ball. He's, he's better at, at, at just receiving the ball. He's better at framing pitches. All that part of his game is better. Well, now not only that, but he's been hitting. He's hitting. Yeah, the, that, that, that might be the most surprising thing that's happened. The well, production they've gotten out of, and the same thing last year, right? Yeah, because you had a career year from from you know, Jimenez, who hit as many home runs last year as he had hit in his entire career. How does that happen? You know, so they so they've gotten this kind of production out of their catching position, in which you know other teams aren't getting production from their catchers. And so, the, the addition of Bush, Matt Bush, it, it's it's been you know Keller goes down, boom. Yeah, and he comes in, and I, and I think yeah, in some ways, uh, you know, the Bush is better than Keller right now. I, I think there's a potential for for Keller because.
guys are so good. But then again, you know, you could say about Bush, he doesn't have much of experience as a close or as a, as a reliever. He doesn't have a lot of innings on the arm. No, he doesn't. So there's a there's certainly a potential that the ceiling is higher for him as well. So I, I think that what, what Evan says is the fact that they're in first place right now, and they're what, nine games over 500, and, and it's without these parts, without Chu being here, it's without Fielder playing very well, you know, without Moreland playing very well. And where know? are the Astros? And where are the, the Astros who were supposed to be, to be their top? Uh, I, I always think this to me. This is always a problem, you know, in in, in all sports. Uh, and this is a problem because uh, and the media drives this is that we realize that what fans want to hear about is the young guys, the young superstars, right? The Carlos Correas of the world, that, those kind of people. And, and he is a phenomenal talent. There's no question about that. But you fall in love with that a little too much. And to me. That, that Astros team is – and one of the reasons why I picked the Rangers to beat them last year was because they're so young. And I think that's a, a dangerous thing to count on young guys to not only win now but to continue winning. You know, it is from one year to the next. We always assume a player is going to be – if he's good this year, he'll be better next year and better the year after that. Well, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes these guys go backwards. Sometimes pitchers make adjustments on these guys, and they are not, and they're not able to make those adjustments. You know, uh, you see that all the time in baseball. So I think there's, uh, I'm beginning to think now. I'm, I'm not sure that the Astros can make that comeback. I think that it's going to be between the Mariners and the Rangers, and I think the Astros will be an outlier. You know, there, there'll be something out there. They, they, they may eventually turn it around. But because just what we said about the Rangers, I think that they will only continue to get better as these guys start to return to the lineup. So there you have it. Are we giving? Are you? Are we? Should we hand the Rangers the the a, uh, AL West? No, right not, not not as long as the Mariners are out there. The okay. Mariners are really good. All right. So I, I do think that the you know that they that getting Darvish back and he's already pitching this well. It really says a lot. Of course, it's just one game. And it but, doesn't hurt that when the Rangers play the Mariners again, and Hernan, they won't be facing King Felix, Felix again. Yeah. So, that's always a, that's always a plus. It's always a plus. Well, I think that's just about all we have for our baseballsy today. But we do have a couple other of our of our buddies coming on. We have at least one buddy coming on. We have Kirk Bowles. Oh, he, he's Kirk will be on. Kirk will be on. That, that's my understanding. He's been uh, looking forward to this all weekend. I know. Yes, he has. He, he, and, <laughs> and we'll talk. We'll talk Big Twelve. We'll talk Baylor and Baylor. The Big Twelve meetings are in, are in Dallas this week. And we'll t- we'll talk Dallas that. Area. And and I I, th- I think the future of the Big Twelve took a big hit with Baylor. But yes, we can talk did. about that. Yes, we will. We can talk about that as well. So for Kevin Sherrington, I'm Barry Horn. Evan Grant would like to say goodbye, but he's got a face full of barbecue barbecue now. So goodbye, everybody. Bye.